You are listening to episode 1548 of the Permaculture Podcast with Scott Mann, a listener-supported program. Do you like receiving a new interview each week from a voice in the permaculture community that is pushing the edges? Do you enjoy the candor you won't hear anywhere else? If so, visit thepermaculturepodcast.com and click on the support tab to find out how to keep the show going. While you're there, sign up for the mailing list to receive news and information from around the world and the web on permaculture and sustainability. Today's episode continues the Faith and Earth Care series through a conversation with Dylan Neighbor Cruz, one of the co-instructors for my permaculture design course in 2010. Dylan was also one of the first guests on the podcast back in 2012 when the show moved to the regular interview format. Then we talked about the idea of paying permaculture forward through our actions. Today we delve into his perspective on the intersection between Christianity and permaculture, a subject he is exploring intensely during his preparations to enter seminary. Heading into this interview, and changing up our order a little bit, I'd like to begin with my thoughts on what follows. These conversations about faith and earth care generate the most feedback I've ever received on any of the topics presented on this podcast. As our community continues to discuss whether permaculture is just a design system or a movement, and the role of spirituality in that dialogue, this material is of ever greater importance. We need to talk about faith and the way various traditions view the earth, nature, and what I grew up knowing as creation. You'll find that Dylan expands on this through his very personal view of his faith, mixed with a call to apply the moral teachings of Christ with the ethical and treatments of permaculture. Having known Dylan for a long time, I expected this to be a passionate conversation, and it definitely is. More so, I never found him to hold back, mince words, or shy away from expressing his views, and he definitely doesn't today. Anyone is likely to find a few moments in this conversation that are a little uncomfortable, but I can almost guarantee that you'll be left with a lot to consider once we reach the end. We'll get started with all that after a few announcements. The Possibility Handbook, a project with Ethan Hughes, continues. Ethan confirmed with me that January 16th through the 23rd, 2016, we will record a series of new interviews together at the Possibility Alliance as the draft manuscript of that book. The listener-exclusive fundraiser to make this project happen is seeking to raise $5,000 by the end of this year. That's less than six weeks away, and we've got some distance to cover to go to get there. If you would like to hear and see more of Ethan's passion and perspective in the world, in a guide to create the world you want to live in, go to www.thepermaculturepodcast.com forward slash book and make your pledge today. Also, would you like to spend three weeks in Costa Rica learning permaculture with Joshua Peace Seeker and other instructors at Joshua's farm, Verde Energia? You still have time to enter the drawing to win this opportunity. Visit thepermaculturepodcast.com and click on the Costa Rica tab for more details. Now then, on to Dylan. Then Dylan, I wanted to have you back on after many years since you were last on the podcast because of the direction that your personal journey has taken you and your path to return to a life of faith, looking at returning to seminary and the work that you're doing in that direction. Some of your writings recently have been examining the Christian call to earth stewardship 
And since I've done some work on faith and earth care in the past, wanted to have you share some of those thoughts and ideas with us as you continue this personal exploration. Sure. Thanks, Scott. I want to preface this by saying that I'm more than likely not going to say anything that's tremendously new or unique, other than that it's unique to my personal experience. And as we are all unique beings, then this will be framed from my unique perspective. But but I don't think the major content is going to be uh, terribly unique. I came to permaculture, as you know, a number of years ago with uh, our mutual friend, Ben Weiss. And that was at a time when I had been letting go of sort of the fundamentalist Christian mindset that I had grown up with. I had actually done my best to extricate myself from that path and experience. And in the intervening years from when I did that until now, I'd kind of been sort of exploring other ways of being spiritual without being religious, if that makes sense. And also having this idea in my head, this sort of running theme literally for several years that earth stewardship was something biblical. Even when I was immersed in that fundamentalist world, I can remember a a time when I was the lone male chaplain spouse at uh, Fort Bliss, Texas. My, my wife at that time was an army chaplain and all the other chaplains were men. So I was the only chaplain spouse who was in fact male. And I would go to these chaplain spouses gatherings. They had to change the name to be gender neutral on my account. And one time I heard this whole row of, ostensibly Christian people talking about how the environmentalists weren't letting the president open up Anwar, an Alaskan wildlife refuge for oil uh, exploration. And she said something to the effect of they're just polar bears. And you probably know me well enough to know that I sort of vocalize very quickly and think out loud. And I was like, no, this is absurd. And I stopped the whole, there were like 20 women there and the whole restaurant fell silent because I was just like, that's, that's crazy. They're not just polar bears. God created those. We need that wild space. And this was back in the late nineties before I'd ever heard the term organic farming before I'd ever heard the term permaculture. I was a typical American, but I I could see the air in El Paso, Texas. That was the only place I'd ever lived where I could visibly see the air. And I was an outdoorsy person and I could see that there were these things that were just not lining up, that pollution was causing me physically problems. I was having difficulty breathing at times in El Paso because of the air pollution. And I just didn't, I didn't understand the disconnect between these people who said that they were Christians and yet that we should be able to just annihilate this planet that God gave us. And my ex-wife told me at one time, and she has a master's degree from Southwestern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary. She said that, you know, it didn't matter what we did to this present planet. God was going to make us a new one. And I thought that was 
ridiculous and absurd. So even back then, I had this idea that that the Christian walk, whatever that looked like, had something to do with taking care of the earth that we believed God gave us. And since leaving that sort of fundamentalist, the Bible is every word of it is absolutely correct and nothing is to be taken out of it and there are no contradictions and all of those things that certain denominations believe to now where I'm exploring what it means to be a Christian who doesn't believe in all of that. Uh, and all along the way, I, I looked at, you know, different faith groups and found some commonality between them. But there are also, you know, vast differences, of course. But my own spiritual walk, I've been missing something. And I recalled to mind the Dalai Lama saying, you know, that you can't put a cow's head on a yak's body. If you're from the West, be a Christian. That's how you express your religious faith, because your cultural context will be different than somebody who's from Tibet or Thailand or Japan, where Buddhism, for example, is practiced or, you know, the Middle East where Islam is practiced or the Indian subcontinent where Hinduism and Sikhism are are the main faiths. So how do I align myself, because I'm a very spiritual being, with teachings that are going to make sense to me that are embracing and encompassing of both the earth and my fellow human beings. Because I learned a lot of crazy, mean-spirited, and totally ridiculous shit that was completely antithetical to the teachings of the man that we call Jesus whilst I was in that world. So recently I just started to think about this more and more. And I've been, as you say, I'm applying to go to seminary to study this further. This is my personal walk. I'm not in any way, shape or form saying that anyone needs to convert to anything. This is all about Dylan and my walk spiritually and how I can make it meaningful through that lens of earth care, people care, future care, which I find dovetails incredibly seamlessly with the two greatest commandments that Jesus said that we are to follow. And that is to love the creator with all our heart, mind and soul and to love our neighbors as ourself. And in the global reality that we live in, it doesn't matter if that person is in Azerbaijan or Zaire, everybody's our neighbor because of the impact of globalization and fossil fuel industry and all of the different things that make this economy that we're a part of tick. You're taking those ideas that when they were originally written as part of that faith tradition was about those people who'd be near you, those other tribes and cities and towns in that region that were nearby that we would know personally, but because of the way that the world and culture has changed to take those same ideas and apply them just as meaningfully in the modern world as they would have been when 
first espoused? Yes, absolutely. Because if you look at the uh, story where Jesus talks about uh, that greatest commandment, because some, as I've been doing some theological studies lately, my, my knowledge is deepening. And one of the writers mentioned that, you know, to Jewish people, these commandments are hugely important. In the Jewish scripture, there are over 600 different commandments. So the question was posed to Jesus, you know, which, which ones are like super important? Because I don't want to waste my time splitting hairs over here with something that's, you know, only marginally important. I want to get to the heart of the matter. And so Jesus says the greatest commandment. And then he follows that up with an illustration. And in the illustration, he uses a Samaritan as the hero of the story. And if you know anything about that time period, Samaritans were looked upon by Jews just like black people in, in the South post-Civil War Reconstruction. It was Jesus literally grabbing a frying pan and going, look, bam. Let me shock you into the reality of the depth of what I'm teaching. I am telling you that it doesn't matter if it's a Samaritan or a Jew or any other kind of Gentile. If it is a human being, then that is what God is calling your neighbor. So we have this idea particularly in the United States, of this American exceptionalism, which is a nonsensical notion. And there's a lot of xenophobia. There's a lot of ethnically based or racially based bigotry that at various times of our history as a nation has been put to the fore. And it's being done now so horribly and disgustingly by people like Donald Trump and some of the other politicians running for president, the people have completely lost sight of the true meaning of that story. That's one of the reasons that I think it's so important. And if we look at that from the permaculture lens, that's people care, plain and simple. And our actions here, if we look at the earth as one living system, as the Gaia hypothesis says, then our actions here in Pennsylvania affect people immediately down in the Chesapeake. We know this because Lancaster County is the number one polluter of the Chesapeake Bay. So that affects our actions here, affect the livelihoods of people far away. It goes all the way around the world. People in China are burning so much coal that weather patterns are being changed elsewhere. Everybody in this biosphere is connected and everybody is our neighbor from that perspective. There's a park nearby that I go to with my children that has a sign in it that says, we all live downstream. And the first time that I ever saw that was shortly after there had been a small flooding event here in the Harrisburg area. And around that sign was captured some plastic cups and part of a styrofoam cooler and some other things that I wish I had taken a picture of that because the way that it illustrated what the sign said and reminded me of the idea that there is nowhere else that we are all on one planet and everything that we choose to dispose of 
or throw into a trash can or not take some responsibility for, that it really doesn't go away, uh, that it's still there somewhere, and that with these ethics within permaculture, we have a responsibility to take action for all of those choices that we make. Absolutely. I see that too around here. There's a, the little Conestoga runs through a park that's about a mile or so from here. And I'll go walk there and you see the detritus of American life writ large upon the stream as there's all this plastic and styrofoam and other junk. And it, it hurts my heart. And I have taken pictures of it. I used to walk around Brantford, Connecticut, taking pictures of it and then writing letters to the editor saying, you know, hey, this is a beautiful town. Why, why are people trashing it? Why are people throwing bags of dog feces all over the park? Put some cans up uh, so that we can not look at trash and dog shit while we're supposedly walking around a natural area. And boom, within two weeks, a whole slew of recycle bins and dog waste containers showed up. So we can do little things like that to draw attention and awareness right where we're at. And then we can extrapolate that by, you know, that whole think globally, act locally. That to me is what following the greatest commandment, dovetailing it with the ethics of permaculture really means. Because the more I think about it, the more I think of how many things would be so radically different if we followed those injunctions. And the, the other one is the golden rule, which is to do unto others as you would do unto yourself, which is very closely related to love your neighbor as yourself. And if we did those things, I absolutely believe and it wouldn't have any difference if you believed in Jesus as a as a divine being and the savior of all mankind. If you believed he was just a really cool teacher who was rabble rousing or whatever, the Christology of it matters not one bit. It's the practice of the golden rule and the greatest commandment that matters. And if we did those things, I don't think global capitalism could stand at all. I don't think industrial agriculture would be able to stand as it does because they, in my mind, are in direct violation. You pour poison on the ground and then Roundup ends up in people's breast milk and in their blood and urine and in groundwater and in surface water, then you're poisoning other people, committing a sin against someone you are hurting them in the name of profit or expediency or convenience or whatever other term you want to call it. But it is completely antithetical to both of those teachings. And as a permaculturist, I look for patterns. We all do. I'm not, I'm not brilliant at it. But that golden rule is present in the text of every major world religion. That's a pattern. That means that that is important. And the fact that it's within Christianity as well, and that's the dominant religion ostensibly in this country, means that we're doing it wrong. And that's reflected in the fact that 
Pennsylvania is well nigh uninhabitable in large large stretches or soon will be because of the fracking industry. Or the Midwest is using up the entire Ogallala Aquifer for monocropped corn and soybeans, the vast majority of which are Roundup ready and therefore poisoning what's left of that aquifer. And everybody lives downstream, so we've got to change this. How do you see applying this ethic of how to treat others to the work that we do within permaculture? Though, just in asking that question, it seems like it's already there because of our being implored to take care of the earth and others. And however you wish to state the third ethic, whether that's future care or redistribution of the surplus, that this idea is already inherent in the work that we do. And that by being a person of faith, it seems then that permaculture just seems like an extension of that. Right. Well, for me, and this is the path that I'm exploring going down, I'm going to use the word ignorance, and I, it, that is not a pejorative in this sense. There is a great deal of ignorance amongst the common person throughout America about ecology, about where the food comes from and how it's grown. There's a great deal of naivete about where basic household items or items that you need clothing, shoes, building materials, etc., about how they're produced and the impacts upon human life and the ecology within that production. And there's almost total ignorance about this idea of permaculture within generalizing greatly here, but within the greater evangelical movement of American Christianity, or even within progressive Christians, most of them don't know about permaculture. So for me, it's a matter of getting people uh, who are people of faith, because I can speak that language, having grown up within it and, and now exploring it in a more self-taught academic way now, but preparing myself for next August when I begin an MDiv program. So the idea for me is to elucidate, to, to bring forth light into dark places. And ignorance is a dark place. If we are able to, as permaculturists, on the local level, create working models of what permaculture is, then that will send ripples into the pond. Uh, just as when Ben and I taught that very first class, Little did I know that one of my students would someday have a podcast that has several thousand listeners around the country and the world. That little ripple of my tossing a stone and then Ben following it with his stone has now rippled out. So if I can speak the language of Christian America and then bring forth ideas of permaculture as a means of following those two most basic precepts of Christian thought and teaching, then that's what I feel led to do. Does that answer your question, Scott? 
Yes, it does. It takes the question asked and makes it a personal reflection, which is fitting of the path that you're on, because your journey is very much a personal one, not a proselytizing one from the way that you presented it to me. And that was one of the interests in speaking with you because I'm culturally a Christian. I was raised in an Anabaptist church as a child, not a Mennonite or Amish, but one of the related churches. And so have a particular perspective on faith and religion that came from that. And some of those early days were talking about that next life, that other world that you mentioned in the beginning, that it was about forming community with people who were like-minded in preparation for what would come next, that it was not about this earth, but it was God's kingdom in the next life. And it was only later as my family moved and no longer attended that church that I came to a more progressive, non-denominational Protestant church that started teaching more about the idea of even though we would not find salvation through good acts, it was our responsibility as people of faith to be good in the world. And with that, the idea was not one of ruling or dominion over the earth, but about stewardship, about how we were to be members of our community and shepherds of not only our fellows, but also of all life on earth. That dichotomy between the two of one of a removal of this earth and so that nothing really mattered as long as we were people of faith to this other perspective of needing to care for what was given to us are two very distinct ways of looking at the world that come from the same material. And that's always something that I've had difficulty in reconciling is how much there is to be taken from the Bible between all the stories and the lessons that were given, that there are the laws of Leviticus, which seem to be used in order to zealously apply a particular view of faith and is quoted, we hear these kinds of ideas in the media and the news and elsewhere for people's justification for things, yet then it seems that that golden rule in the New Testament is thrown out or ignored. Similar to you, my path was one where I left the church for a long time because I always had this spiritual calling, but I couldn't reconcile what I was being taught and the way that I was seeing the actions in the world and still sometimes have problems holding those two things in my mind and being comfortable with the space that I inhabit and then seeing the actions that my fellows take. Absolutely. For me, this whole idea boils down to, and I told my ex-wife this a long time ago, uh, she didn't take it well because her, her fundamentalist viewpoint was very much the viewpoint of personal sin and hell, if we were to reject a very narrow view of who Jesus is. And I told her that my Christianity at that time, and this was back in 2003 or so, four maybe, that my Christianity boiled down to the greatest commandment and the golden rule, because that's what Jesus said. What's the most important thing? These are the most important things. So if we take that as the root, then we can cross-reference our actions and the actions of our political leaders 
and the actions of our economic system, et cetera. And we can go to that root and say, okay, that is different from that root. That doesn't come from that root. That's a, a weed that we need to, to mulch or something. And there's a ready-made audience out there of people who not everybody's going to get it. Not everybody who, uh, who has no faith at all uh, gets permaculture. That's fine. We need to reach as many people out there as we can with these techniques of ecological restoration and regeneration so that we can hopefully perpetuate human life. Now, that's a very anthropocentric or however that word is said. I always butcher it. Human-centered focus. But we're biological beings, and human beings, like every other biological being, want to perpetuate the species. And nothing wrong with that. The Earth would, of course, tick along merrily without bipedal hominid stewardship or idiotic behavior. But we have tools and techniques. We have spiritual teachings that will allow for a completely different type of human experience than what we're having now. And that's, that's the point. Jesus, I learned this recently from, a, from an eminent theologian. One of the things that he was teaching was this idea of maintaining the commons, that everybody has a right, regardless of who they are, to food and adequate shelter and water and the basic necessities of life. This is what permaculture is concerned with. We want to grow uh, healthful organic food and regenerate the soil that, that the food comes from. We want to build communities that are healthy and that are resilient, both as a whole and in individuals. And we want to have fiber and fuel and all of the things that make it possible for the perpetuation of human life. Jesus was saying that everybody deserves that when he passed out the loaves and the fishes. He was saying that, yes, there is a kingdom of God. I'll leave that to smarter theologians than I will probably ever be to suss out. But to me, it is important to take care of our neighbors right now. And there are about 6.75 billion neighbors on the planet right now that aren't doing so slick. And another, you know, couple hundred thousand or, I mean, hundred million that think they're doing great, but really aren't doing so slick. So within Christian America, there's, there's this ready-made audience that probably, like you and me, can recognize at a lot of times that something ain't stirring the Kool-Aid. The, the message that they're getting from the news media or popular culture or even the pulpit is not lining up with the words in red. And for the uninitiated in a lot of Bibles, anything that Jesus is purported to have said is in red. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then we should probably pay particular attention to those words in red. And then we will have a completely different system. I'm talking about fundamentally 
changing the way things are in the here and now, which is one of the primary things that Jesus was talking about, too, in an oppressive political climate of Judea at that time with Roman occupation and Jews being subjugated and spit upon and so forth and just and being treated as second class citizens. Same kind of thing. But we have all this affluenza around us that breeds complacency. Uh, I, I'm totally guilty of it myself. But I think that there's also a, a yearning for something more. There's, there's got to be something more. And I've read and heard that service, service to something greater than ourselves, is often really the path to true happiness. And there's a Bob Marley song called Pass It On where the lyric is, live for yourself and you will live in vain. Live for others and you will live again. So that's the idea is that we, we share the best of ourselves and we can then create like David Holmgren talked about, I believe it was in your interview with him, creating these working models of what permaculture is. And for some people, doing that through a completely spiritual lens will help get over that inertia of that affluent lifestyle, of that apathy that, that can be uh, inculcated when we have all our needs met by running down to the grocery store or to the mall or to the outlet center or to the home depot or, or the whatever big box brand name place that you can think of. But what we don't have is community or resiliency. And that's part of this journey that I'm on. I've, I've been trying to find my own spiritual community and wanting to live a life that serves something beyond myself. I'm 43 now. And, you know, you start to get to that, oh, hey, th this, th I might be at the halfway point. Hell, I might be past the halfway point. I want to leave my mark. And for me, speaking only for myself, I want to leave this planet in a better state than what I first came into it. And, you know, I want to love and laugh and connect deeply to the earth along the way. And for me, that's permaculture. And for me, that's exploring these ideas of, of service and forgiveness and treating people the way I ultimately want to be treated. With what you shared with us there, there are two places that I think about going with it. And I guess the one I'll just kind of make as a statement from having known you for so long, Dylan, is that the path that you're on and the exploration that you're going through is one of meaning. It's not lip service, that you are working on bringing the things that you say and the things that you do closer together. And I, I take a great comfort in knowing that you're walking down this road and will be sharing these ideas with many other people, not only by having this conversation with me, but also because you have a voice and you will use it to speak up. And through that, 
you mentioned David Holmgren and what I am reminded of from the interview with him, one of the big takeaways for me was about how he said that with permaculture, it isn't really about trying to make it mainstream, but just expanding the circles where we have influence. And I walked away from my PDC with you with a lot of ideas, but not sure where to go. So I just started podcasting. And then when I took my teacher training with Jude and Andrew and Rico, it was reinforced that there was a space and a need for this. So just kept doing it. And that's kind of part of my path. And then what you're doing and what you're working through is part of yours. And by speaking that language and understanding these things, you have a way to step behind a pulpit or walk into a church or a religious meeting and have a conversation that meets people where they're at because you can speak to them as a colleague and as someone who knows what it is that they experience, but then be able to expand that conversation and share these other ideas that again ties into that voice that you have and making it personal and that it's not an imposition of yourself on others, but a, this is my story. Let me share with you these ideas that I have. And that's really refreshing for me to know that this is the road that you're on and are working to expand the conversation among the faithful while those of us who are in this secular world continue to do the same in that space. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. There is a need for people like David, for example, who explicitly says he, he's very proud of his atheist upbringing. And if that works for him, that is brilliant. He is doing amazing work that is uplifting and helping humanity. And that's the best that we can do, really. Now, I don't know how many Christians are in the world who have ever heard of permaculture. But I do know through my own experience that there were things about it, and, and as you mentioned too, that, that about that Christian life and experience that left me, in some respects, truly traumatized. Because let's face it, you start telling little children that they're going to burn in eternity in a tormented, tortuous hell for a sensitive kid like me that sticks around for a long time. It's doing it wrong, in my opinion. But there was something missing. The love piece was missing. The devotion to something greater than ourselves. And fear is not a great place to bow at the altar of. In the film Inhabit, one of the people interviewed up in Portland, Maine, she said, you know, stories of fear and ecological collapse aren't perhaps the most compelling for everyone. We have to show them that there's something better. That's kind of what I hope to do as I continue this journey. Now, I don't know that I'll ever come to believe in a particular Christology perspective that will fit with all Christians. That's immaterial to me. However, I can believe, like I said, in those root fundamental teachings. And when I say fundamental, I do not mean fundamentalist. I mean those teachings that are of primary importance 
that everything goes back to the golden rule and to the greatest commandment. And I think that that message is compelling because so many people are longing for community. We have really forgotten how to do that in the United States of America. We have really forgotten how to do community very well. It generally takes something catastrophic uh, like a Katrina event or a September 11th kind of thing to galvanize people. Well, Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you want to get to God, you go through him. Now, I interpret that in my own view as if you want to feel the overarching presence and love of God, then you do these things. And you start here at the greatest commandment. And then you will feel that overarching love of God within your beingness. And then you will have that peace that surpasses all understanding that Jesus talks about. I think a lot of people would be on board with that because of the way modern life and civilization is set up. I think that there is a, a reason of major import that we are told that Jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days and nights to fast. Now, I've never personally done that. I've gone out to the wilderness. I've gone out to the wilderness and fasted for a day, you know, and I had some profound stuff happen in a day. But clearly, in my mind, Jesus was really close to the earth. He knew from whence everything came that provided sustenance for him, whether they were the fish from the Sea of Galilee or the heads of grain that he and his disciples were eating on the Sabbath, disregarding Sabbath law about work. He went and made his home by the sea, we're told. So clearly he was close to the earth. And so many of us are not. And so many Christians, in my experience, and again, I this is coming from a Southern Baptist experience or a Church of Christ experience, the, the two predominant denominations that I was affiliated with growing up. Those have become, in large respect, very middle class oriented and nationalistic rather than human community focused. And that leaves a lot of want from the uh, spiritual perspective that I, that I have noticed. So I, I feel like by taking this journey, I have, I am told a gift to be a decent teacher that if I get up in front of people and start flapping my ridiculous gums, that something worthwhile will eventually make its way to the ears of somebody who needs to hear it. And I feel like I would like to use that gift to the best of my ability to help people who already have a language to maybe see it from a slightly different perspective, to go back to that root source and say, let's begin here. How, how different is it if we begin here? If you are a Christian, can you serve in the military? I did. I was in the Marine Corps, and I was also a Bible-believing Christian. Well, they're, they're antithetical to one another. 
everything that Jesus says is promoting peace. So, what if all the Christians in the military laid down their guns and said, you know what, I can't do this anymore? Or what if all the Christians who aren't in the military said, you know what, I can't vote for a Republican or a Democrat because both of those parties perpetuate war? Bill Clinton gets lauded for all his work with the economy and the deficit and all of these things. He was also the commander-in-chief who bombed Eastern Europe, and he bombed in Africa. And generally, it is the poor, the least of these, who were affected. You know, say what you will about the Bush administration, which was horrific. But lesser of two evils is still evil. And Jesus preached against perpetuating evil. So, from an earth care perspective, war is idiotic. War is ecologically unsound. And as we record this, there was just a bombing that hit a Doctors Without Borders. The very little that I've read about that says that that hospital made it absolutely clear that they where they were, who they were, and what they were doing. And yet, that was a United States of America-led bombing. So, if we are going to be Christians and follow the teachings of Jesus, Matthew 5, 9 is very explicit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Period. It does not say blessed are those who possess the weapons to blow everything to smithereens. How is that earth care? Well, I used to live in Hawaii for a long time. There's a whole island there that is now covered. It's called Kaho'olawe. It is sacred to the Hawaiian people, but it is covered in ordinance. It has been denuded of vegetation because of bombings and things. And, you know, all of the chemicals that go into ordinance leach into the earth. This is, this is earth care. You can't drop napalm and then say, oh, yeah, well, it doesn't matter to the earth or to the ecosystem. So it's peace. It's ecological restoration. It's building community. All of these things to me are wrapped up in this idea of the ethics of permaculture and the primary ethics, ethical teachings of Christ. And so I want to hopefully share that viewpoint and, and see how many ripples can I generate, not for purely egoic reasons, but for altruistic reasons. Sure, I'd love to be successful, and I'd love people to know the name Dylan Neighbor Cruz and associate that with good work and, you know, and, and, and be able to earn my daily bread by, by doing these things. But my literal primary goal is to leave the planet better than I found it. I don't know where that comes from within me, but that's that's what it is. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to let me talk like this because I've been running around for years going, okay, I'm a permaculture teacher, but I don't have an audience. Who, who am I supposed to be talking to? And this little voice back in my head would keep saying, you know, there's this connection between permaculture and Christianity. 
wonder if you would explore that. And then I wouldn't explore it. And then it would come back again and again and again. And finally, I had to start paying attention to it. I had to go, oh, this must be a thing that I'm supposed to be paying attention to because this this wheel is awfully squeaky, squeaky and demanding grease. Well, long ago, when I took that PDC with you, was one of the first periods in my life where I was going through a hard transition. And in that space of the classroom, as we would do morning check-in, I felt comfortable for one of the first times in my life to talk about some of these things that were going on with a group of people who came together because these things mattered. I took those ethics to heart early on when I first found out about permaculture. And as a result, when we were talking, you gave encouragement at that time to go and try these things, to live different and make a go of it. I can't say that it's been easy <laughs> given the world that we live in and so many of the requirements to just exist. But having that space and opportunity to be honest for a little while and to be given encouragement really made a difference in the path that I was on then and set me out to this path now that, well, actually, as we sit and record this, it's five years since I graduated from my PDC. In just a few weeks will be five years that this show has been on the air. Yeah, that's right, because it was the it was the beginning of October when that class ended, because I flew to Hawaii a week later. Yeah, it was the 3rd of October, and we graduated, and then went off in the world, and I still have contact with, with several of the students from that course, as well as graduates who came afterwards. As always with these interviews, I never really know where we're going to go, and... As a result, we spent some more time talking about this path of faith and the meaning of Christianity and the road that you're on and how these things come together into creating this world that we want to live in in an ethical way. And as a result of that focus, I would like to open the floor if there's anything else that you would like to add for the listeners before we draw this to a close. If on the off chance that there are any listeners who identify as Christian that listen to your podcast. I would like to put forth the question for their lives, for their own personal reflection. What would it look like to radically love their neighbors? You know, you mentioned that it hasn't always been easy because of the context of civilization and uh, the broader society that we live in. And that's true. To be a permaculturist can sometimes lead me to wanting to butt my head up against the wall because I don't know how far to take it or when to stop. Because so much of what we're doing is bass backwards. It's hard on the earth or absolutely detrimental to the earth, even if we're trying to tread lightly. I think uh, Dave Jackie, when he was on on your show, he was saying, you know, we got to reconcile the fact that we're using these computers that are great and wonderful tools. And yet somewhere in Africa or somewhere in India, these things are either being mined or recycled in ways that are out of keeping with earth care. And from a Christian perspective, Jesus says narrow is the path. It is fraught with 
tangles and snares and, and so forth. So we might be, no, we will be, if we follow uh, earth care and neighbor care, if we want to call it that, you know, for people care, quite difficult. If we do it from a spiritual perspective and follow the golden rule and the greatest commandment, it will be difficult. Rewarding, yes, and difficult. But at the same time, it's very difficult to be in this society now, according to statistics and numbers of, of people who are depressed and suicidal and going on shooting rampages and, you know, war and all of these things. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is all around us, to use the biblical language. So I would like, because this is what I'm reflecting on right now, as Dylan Neighbor Cruz, as this conglomeration of particles that makes up me, makes my way through the world. What does it look like for me to radically love my neighbor? What can I do differently? What can I do better as a permaculturist, as a person who is trying to find out what Jesus means to me? What can I do better? As Christian America, what would it mean for Christian America to radically love our neighbor? Whether that neighbor is in, you know, Sioux City, Iowa, or Canberra, Australia, or Beijing, or wherever. What does it look like to radically love our neighbor? Thank you, Dylan, for joining me today. I appreciate being a part of your journey over all these years and that the two of us have been able to stay in touch and catch up with one another from time to time and to see how far you've gone since that time when I was your student in a PDC as well as my own transition from that time as student now to being one of your colleagues and being a part of sharing your story with the world. Well, thank you, Scott. And uh, I appreciate your kind words. And, and just one last reminder, we got to be gentle with ourselves. The deck is stacked against us. So, you know, as we go out there and we think about these things, be mindful of being overly critical of ourselves because then that could create inertia too. We won't get where we want to go that way either. So thank you for, um, for this time. I really appreciate it. And that was Dylan Neighbor Cruz. This interview came about from a series of articles titled The Christian Call to Earth Stewardship that Dylan wrote for his blog that blend together faith, politics, and biblical scholarship. You can read those and more of his work at dylancruz72.wordpress.com, and you'll find direct links to those articles and his website in the resource section of the show notes for this episode. As I opened today with my views on this interview, there are no more here, but you can get in touch with me and share your thoughts by phone at 717-827-6266 or by emailing show at thepermaculturepodcast.com. If you'd like, you can also drop something in the mail, and we can correspond by post. The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. From here on Thursday, November 26th, Sandor Katz joins me to talk about wild fermentation. After that, on December 3rd, Brad Lancaster returns to discuss the desert harvesters, community, and urban water catchment. Until the next time, 
Spend each day creating the world you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.